Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. You guys can talk too. You guys can say hi. Hello. No one can hear you wave. <laughs> so introduce yourselves. Uh, I am Andrew, aka A, as you may remember from a previous episode. The, the this alien is- episode. Our alien episode, yes. Truly. Gosh, I pick like the most haunted episodes to come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're A, the mystery is solved. And who is your co-star? I'm Matt, just Matt, no letter. Uh, <laughs> M. I am the co-host of Stephen Repeat podcast. And I'm Bay. And I'm Jay. And this is the Stephen Repeat slash this is the part I don't get crossover <laughs> extravaganza. Woo! Woo! A long time in the in the making. <laughs> so we've decided our order already and we're going to just get started and Jay is going to kick us off with her part that she doesn't get and then Matt is going to back her up with his expertise. Yeah, so uh, just a little uh, intro or whatever. Uh, Matt and Andy, their podcast is about movies. So um, we thought it would be fun to come up with like a crossover episode where we found things that we didn't get that pertain to movies and all get together and do this episode. So um, so Matt and I uh, both researched um fictional languages in movies because that was the part that I didn't get is how do they come up with these languages like how much work goes into them because you know when I see I mean some some of them like aren't are better than others but when I see movies like um like when I saw I think what made me think of it was Black Panther and I was like whoa this is this seems like a like a real language um like that must have taken a lot of work just for, you know, just for a movie or a comic or, or, you know, anything like that. So, um, so a little, little teeny bit of, uh, like history, I guess you could say. Um, so people have, it's what's known as a constructed language, which means basically that it's, um, you know, it has its own grammar, its own vocabulary, um conjunction junction yeah or the (laughs) the slang they call it conlang for short um so the constructed languages you know they've been around for hundreds of years uh but they became more very popular with um when the internet became a thing um and today there's actually more constructed languages than natural languages. So I guess the biggest difference is it's usually when it's constructed it's usually like one person that's like okay, I'm making a language up instead of just like natural languages come from a group of people that, you know, kind of just naturally forms like the word would suggest. Um, So it got to the point where uh, in movies, at least people would hire um, actual linguists to um, help them develop languages for these movies or, or different like fictional works of um, you know, books. That's so cool. Yeah. So Victoria Fromkin, 
was the first person to uh, hired to create a language in Land of the Lost. They spoke Paku. Is <laughs> um, that Will Ferrell movie? Like the I think that's a remake. Yeah, the like the, the remake, the original was like in like the fifties or sixties. Oh, okay. Well, this is yeah. nineteen seventy four. So okay, <laughs> way off. <laughs> so I guess is that the original or is that the remake? I think that's uh, the original because okay. it has like Will Ferrell in it. And it's like two thousand. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, definitely not that one. Yeah. I didn't even count that as. <laughs> N- neither do most people. <laughs> that was like eh. but (laughs) anyway um so just some general things uh that like if you were to create your own language which apparently a lot of people do is uh you have to think about word order um basically any kind of sentence has a subject a verb an object usually um so, you know, in English, we say Johnny bought apples, whereas other languages, you might say apples bought, well, no, Johnny's, <laughs> apples bought, Johnny bought, you know, things like that. They, they have different, um, you know, a different uh, order. And then you have to think about how are plurals formed? How do possessives work? For example, the car of John versus John's car. Um, do you use articles like we do, like the and a? Um, do you have compound words? Um, do you have language or do you have gender in the nouns? Like um, they use the example of El Libro versus La Manzana, the book or the apple. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I should have done French, a- a- Andrew. <laughs> no, well, um, you reminded me of that, of like the order of things, like to say, I miss you in French is yeah. to, was it, to me manque, right? Yeah, you're missing to me. Yeah, yeah you, you are missing to, like, by me. It. Wow, yeah. yeah, there's no way I would ever memorize this. This is yeah. why I cheated yeah. off of you in high school. No. <laughs> <laughs> Join the club, apparently. Well, I mean, you do already speak the most complicated language in the world, which is English. Like Some people always say, I mean, I know we have like the silent letters and things like that, but obviously, you know, when you speak it, you don't feel like it's complicated, but I would beg to differ. I think like Mandarin's got to be way up there. Well, it's, it's challenging it's, languages to learn. It's what you're used to. It's what you grew up with. You know, we have so many different ways of saying things. So many like, you know, there, 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 like two, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. like stick those words in different places and people in our other language of languages that I've heard get you know, really confused. Like, you know, you have so many different ways to say this one word, like, why can't you just have like one meeting for it? And it's just, it can be very, and I understand why it can be so confusing to people. Don't they say it's like, English is not phonetic. So that's yeah. part of the reason why it makes it complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably cause we, you know, we're a big country. We have a lot of different, you know, accents and I guess you could say dialects of English and, you know, like, like that book, uh, Andrew, that you gave our friend that has like, you know, what you call things based on where you live, like with the, like, are they lightning bugs or are they no. fireflies, you know? That was, that was a book gifted to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Beth. That was a book gifted to you. Uh, shout out Beth. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the way that I think about like the difficulty of English is like, there are also like so many exceptions like to the rule yeah. too. Yeah. 
Um, I have a 4E except after C. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like that stuff like I think gets like confusing whereas like in um, at least like romance languages uh, it's like pretty more concrete like as long as you recognize like what the rules are mm -hmm. it's like you follow it 100% of the time whereas like in English like you're following the rules like 80% of the time. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like we we made the rules and then realized the rules didn't really like fit. And then we're like, oh, wait, well, there's these exceptions. Like we tried to act like we had rules, but we really didn't. <laughs> the rules kind of like change over time too. Like I know just recently, like AP announced that we can now end sentences with propositions in- Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have spent a lot of time on papers, like being like, even just emails, I'm like, I can't end this with two. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? Like, to which, to hey, with whom I am speaking. <laughs> it's just an example of like how, or like, it's just like a way like language, like the English language has just evolved over time. And like, mm -hmm. like yeah, with a dead language, but. So that, um, that kind of like reminds me, one of my favorite books and the movie's really good too, is Cloud Atlas. And like that story takes place over like many different times. And so like, you can see how the language like really evolves and it's written in English, obviously. Yeah. So, like it starts in like the 1800s and it ends like in the future. And so like in their post-apocalyptic world, they have this like other language and like probably the most famous phrase from Cloud Atlas is like, they call it the true true, <laughs> which is like how the language evolved from like the word truth. So, but like everyone just refers to it as true true. Uh, so it's just kind of like a, an example of like, yeah world of how I, I really like the show the 100 just ended and there they had a whole episode that included uh the person who you found like this backstory they have a whole other language because it's way into the future and it's like slang version of english and it takes place in in um around around dc and you, there's a whole episode where you find out that she used latin to help her create the language so like when you were talking about the things that you need in order to make a language, I immediately thought of that, like, you know, the structure and the base of the language and what you would need in order to form a new one. Right. Yeah. And um, speaking of <laughs> difficult languages to learn, um, so I decided to focus on the, the movie Black Panther, since that's kind of what inspired me um, to do this topic. So um, they, they call it, in the movie, they call it Wakandan. Um, but it's actually is a real language. It's called, <laughs> so this is like the Americanized, um, like name of it or pronunciation. It's easy Kosa. Um, but so it's I S I X H O S A, but in their language or the correct pronunciation, the X is a clicking sound. Um, so it is, you know, it is typically very hard for people like Americans and English speakers to learn because there are several different um, clicking sounds used in place of some of the consonants. Um, 
So it's uh, mostly spoken in South Africa by about 15% of the population, um, which is about 8 million people. It's uh, one of 11 of their official languages. So most people in South Africa are like multilingual because they have a lot of different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea actually came from John Connie, who plays uh, T'Chaka, the, the father of T'Challa, the main character. He's from South Africa, and um, they originally weren't going to have any other um, a- uh, any other languages. But he he went up to the director. He's like, "If they're from Africa, why are they speaking English? Like, let's get some authenticity." So um, he suggested they incorporate Izikosa into the film. Um, he's from East Cape Province, part of South Africa. Um, so they. <laughs> mean girls. If you're from Africa, why are you white? but um the so the cast had you know dialect coaches and um to help them learn it and they a lot of them said it was it was pretty difficult and they interviewed some native speakers of of um easy easy kosa and they were like one woman was like it was pretty good but they could have done better (laughs) um (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, you're you're honest, um, but it's pretty cool because it's associated with the fight against uh, European colonization, um, and many prominent anti-apartheid crusaders were um, were Kosa, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, Steve Biko. Oh God, I don't know if I'm saying these names right. I should have looked this up beforehand. <laughs> Walter Sisulu, the um, and it's part of the Nguni language, and it's mostly spoken in South Africa's eastern and western Cape provinces. Um, so the clicks, uh, I, I looked up some YouTube videos. There's actually some really helpful ones. I can post one on the Facebook page. But so there, the clicks um, happen. You do a click for C, X, and Q. Um, so for C, you you pull the tip of the tongue away. And you make like a, a like when you say like tisk tisk to somebody like the I think it's like that um, for the X you which is in the the name of the language you pull the tongue from the top of side of, I think I wrote that wrong but you basically make the sound that you would make for a horse to speed up <laughs> which I can't like, even do what? yeah that that oh <laughs> I like can't I can't really do it I can only do that in the corner of my mouth. Yeah, it's something like that. But um, and then for the Q, you pull down your tongue from the roof of your mouth. They said like a, a the sound of a cork popping, but it's more just like, like just like kind of when you would think of a I guess a click sound. You like, did I, much better at that than I can. I was practicing. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a nice hollow sound. I like it's it. It's really cool when you hear people speak it natively. Like it just. It, it sounds like a sound effect was put in. Like, I'm like, wait, yeah. they made that with their, like... With their yeah, actual mouths? Like, easy yeah. Pulsa. But, like, there's no, you know, pause. Um, so, my uh, very rudimentary uh, uh, exposure to this is through my <laughs> one anthropo- uh, anthropology class in college. <laughs> did we take that together? Did we? Like, I don't know. I know I took an anthropology class. It would, have been fresh, it would have been freshman year. I actually love this class. Um, okay, I don't know if it was freshman. Studied um, 
like we studied like a lot of groups of like indigenous people and one of them was in the was in southern africa i don't know if it was south africa mm -hmm. and i may be messing this up but um i think it's pronounced the gung people where you kind of oh, yeah you and it is spelled um exclamation point k-u-n-g wow that's really Whoa. cool i yeah. like that and the exclamation point is to like denounce the um the click and it's like a and it's like really hard to say so it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of how it is with, yeah yeah with izzy kosa but um, but i always remembered that <laughs> <laughs> you're like I, I don't remember anything else from that class but i remember that <laughs> cool. uh that's all that's all I know so like when it, when you were saying like all these things like clicks and like South Africa that was like I was like oh my god it's all coming back to me now I guess you could say it clicked no <laughs> <laughs> whoa dad joke I know right <laughs> so many puns so many puns actually yeah. one of the YouTube comments um on one of the, like the how to speak uh uh Kosa, it was like I went on a date with a girl from Kosa, and we just clicked. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god! Glad it worked out. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like just very basic. They use a lat. I think they use a Latin alphabet. I forgot to put that in there. Um, I looked up information about more about like the phonetics of it, but. It was the most confusing stuff I'd ever read because like every definition in linguist in linguistics used like other big words that I didn't know what that meant. It was like they talked about like the airflow and this like they really like go deep into the these languages and it was just I'm like I'm not gonna bore people with <laughs> with that kind of information. So that's kind of a gist of of um of the uh Izikosa, Izikosa language. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was how it was used as a fictional language in a movie. But not really fictional. Yeah, not really. I know there were some concerns like before it came out about cultural appropriation, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't really see anything like afterwards. I think, I, I don't know, I can't speak for them, but, but I, it seemed like it was, I mean, considering that the person who suggested it was from South Africa, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was, I feel like maybe if white people were doing it, it'd be another story, but I don't Yeah. <laughs> I have, not to get into too serious a conversation, but I have like a difficult time knowing like when the lines of cultural appropriation have been crossed. Right. You know, like. I think, and I think a lot of people are... disagree, like even within the cult, like, um, uh, what what's her name? Adele, you know, I think was it. Yes. Yeah. Was it some sort of she she went to some music festival and yeah and wore some sort of I can't remember what kind of was it African Jamaica I think it was Jamaican yeah it's a it's an yeah. annual festival that they have every year yeah, where and a lot of you dress up yeah but, you know and a lot of people a lot of people of color came to her defense and said we think this is awesome so it's like you know. I don't know. I, I agree. In the with eye you. of the beholder. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you're questioning it, 
that comes from a good place in your mind where you're like, maybe I should rethink this or do some research and find out some more information, talk to some folks and see yeah. how they feel about it. If, I think that it's like your inner conscience saying, if you're questioning it and you're unsure, like maybe I should do the responsible thing and, and look into this a little bit more before I go forward and wear this outfit or whatever. But yeah, I think people are always going to have that difference of opinion. Yeah. I really liked Black Panther. I thought it was a very good movie. I thought it was an important movie. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you would know more about that than I would, but. Well, I don't mean to like, well, just um, real quick, side note. <laughs> Black Panther comes from the comics. And um, I know I haven't done too much research into this, but I know in the comics, there's um, three main languages which are used. One is Wakandan. Yeah. Um, and Jenny, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, so stop me if you are. Oh, no, that I did I did remember seeing that when I was reading that the comics had three languages, but that's all it really said. <laughs> yeah, so I know Wakandan is one, and I know that's used actually very rarely, and they only use like minor words. It's very rarely used. Um, the other two languages are um, Yoruba, which is, I believe, a language from Nigeria, like from the, like a Yoruba tribe, like, and that's very commonly spoken in the comics. And the other language is the language out of Chad called Hausa, H-A-U-S-A. Um, and that's that's like another tribe in Wakanda uses that. I don't know exactly how, um, but like it's like those are like the three main languages that are used in the actual comics. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know like, you know, um, uh, of course, for the movie, the Ijosa language is heavily utilized but um a lot of the languages actually in the comics are like is is obviously english and they describe i know it's described as like and it sounds very racist and i i don't like how it's described but um as like the wakandan people are more are smart and educated therefore they speak modern english and um mm -hmm. I'm, okay um but like this was the like, that's troublesome yeah i see yeah, what you mean yeah. Um, and Stan Lee was actually a very, you know, he's a very progressive person and, you know. But he's also pretty old. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when he wrote these comics, like he wrote them to be more like, to be more inclusive of minorities and, and people around the world. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know like if that's the best like description, but I don't know, maybe that was the day and age, who knows, but that's just a little sidebar. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I keep forgetting that it's like, it was a comic first. <laughs> yeah, it was actually inspired, I think, by the well, actual Black Panther movement. So um, he was kind of there. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. It was born out of the Black Panther movement. So, um, and it just evolved and grew from there as like a, as like Black Panther was like a civil rights icon. Like, you know, Wonder Woman was a feminist icon mm -hmm. throughout the 1900s, so. Yeah, one of the things, um, that I think is like really cool about Black Panther and to kind of um, get at something you guys were talking about um, is that like Black Panther, the movie, the story, like represents black excellence essentially. Mm -hmm. And like, so Wakanda is obviously a fictional place within the continent of Africa, but like con the continent of Africa is like a continent that has been ravaged by Mm -hmm. colonialism like primarily white colonialism right if not all white colonialism and um 
So what makes Black Panther so special is even though it's fiction, it's like, here's this place, this Wakanda, this technologically advanced country uh, that has um, kind of escaped the, um, the hands of colonialism and mm-hmm. succeeded, been given the tools, like they have the tools to like thrive throughout it. And it's like, hey, look, like this is what we could have been. Like, this is like what yeah. it presents. And so um, like, obviously it's a fantasy, but like um, that's- well- Akon, the singer, is trying to make it a reality. Have you heard about that? Oh my God. Like, um, no. 100% go to like a Wakanda theme park. (laughs) I think that he's like, he's actually trying to start like a real Wakanda, but he's called, I think it's called like Akon City or something, like where they're going to have their own like uh, currency and stuff. I have to find out. I, I just, that was like, that could have been its own. Topic. Gosh, I can't even imagine having that amount of land. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like geographically to start your own <laughs> city. Sorry, this uh this title is the best. Akon, the pop star behind hits like Smack That is masterminding a six billion dollar <laughs> smart city in Senegal, backed by a shadowy investor. <laughs> shadowy investor? My gosh. Oh my god. So so the currency is gonna be called a coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think this is what they had in mind when there's going to be a technologically advanced society with civil rights in mind i think this is just you know a rich star being like you know i want to have a little fun and okay <laughs> yeah i can't i can't <laughs> Well, I really liked I really liked the movie Black Panther. I thought it was very timely. I thought it was important. I thought it, you know, it's about time that we have like more representation in the um, comic series genre. Anyway, it was I I've seen it several times. I thought it was very very good movie. Yeah, Ditto. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and the still reigning champ of Oscar nominees for Marvel, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> That's cool. Um, did you guys have anything else to add or? Oh, well, I have a topic, but we can, uh, if we don't have time, we can skip me. Oh, okay. no, no she, I think she meant for my topic. Yeah. Right? Oh, oh, sorry. Yes, add That's your add your movie slash TV know-how to what Jay said. So, um, all right, well, unless you have anything else to add, I'll, I'll start mine. Oh, yeah, let, let's hear yours. Um, so you can't really talk about um, creating languages without, for film and, well, really entertainment, without talking about uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, who is obviously the creator of um, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, and in researching this topic, I, uh, you know, I obviously came across a lot of, or I, I, I looked up a lot of different movies that create languages, like <laughs> um, Avatar, what, what? He held up. Andy his... is holding the book up. I'm, I'm sitting right next, that that next to you. That's why. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I was in looking at like uh, looking at my topic for Lord of the Rings. I uh, which is what it's going to be. Um, I also was looking at um, movies like Avatar, which mm-hmm. which um, 
they use, I think, I believe it's called the Navi language. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, that is a language derived from um, Western Polynesia, I believe. Um, and like, I know in like Game of Thrones, they use um, what's called the Dothraki language. I, I'm not exactly 100% sure where that came from, um, but I know that like, again, they only use like, well, for Dothraki, I know they only use like certain words. And I, I, I can't remember like where it was, um, but they only use certain words from a derived language or an original language. Um, and they don't use like the full language. Um, like they'll make up like really short sentences or like only use certain words. Um, but anyway, all this is going back to the point of J.R.R. Tolkien um, actually was a linguist and did actually create languages. Um, he created his own uh, elven languages, if you will, uh, several versions of them. And he- so We all have the time for that. Yeah. Well, so J.R.R. Tolkien was a genius. Um, and he That's actually- That's what he went to school for, right? Was for linguistics. Yeah, so I'm getting there. So he- um, <laughs> Uh, he actually knew 35, 30, more than 35 languages. So wow, what? So including like Russian, Icelandic, um, German, you name it, he probably knew it. Um, he actually was a uh, German linguist major in at, at his school. Um, and he actually, and I did not know this, he created his own languages out of the multitude of languages he knew um, and based Lord of the Rings off of those languages. So he had the languages first and said, you know what? Someone needs to speak to these languages. Who's gonna do it? And thus Middle Earth was born. Um, so this is all actually, so um, I, 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 I use several sources. So there's a, actually a really good, art, a good Guardian article that I used. Um, it's really short, so you should, I'll give you all the link um, once we're done here, but uh, it's, it's short, it's quick read, um, and it's it's a really good insight about how he used his studies to create um, Elven English, or I'm sorry, Elven, uh, the Elven language. And I also um, listened to an NPR interview with, uh, her name's Tracy Mumford, um, and they also talk about different languages um, that inspired him to create the, the series. Um, and obviously this, the books were the inspiration for the movies. Um, so Tolkien, um, he created languages. So he, so he based in other languages and uh, there is one like, so most of the languages he created were strictly for the elves. There's one language he used for the dwarves, um, which they don't use any uh, in the books or the movies. They really don't use many or any Dwarven languages, they use, um, again, like I said, for Dothraki, they use uh, like very short, short sentences or specific words to convey a message. Um, and that is, uh, they use Hebrew for the dwarves. Um, now, I don't know if this is saying something about how Tolkien feels about dwarves and nobody knows in my research, nobody seems to know um, if this was actually like anti-Semitic or anything, but a lot of people seem to think that, um, but, in, in the Dwarven language, he also created a subsect of sign language for the Dwarves because when the Dwarves had their axes and their utilities or whatever they were using, um, they couldn't always, I guess, speak while working. So they had to use like 
some time. Did some they whistle? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> While they, worked? while they work nobody gets it yes no i got yeah. it no way <laughs> we're just gonna let it slide okay <laughs> no, I'm but anyway the primary languages for the elves um i believe there were two and i don't remember the names um the, but the primary language inspirations were um latin mixed with finnish um so that's how the Elven language was derived, mainly, mainly Finnish. Um, and he cre actually created um, dozens and dozens of languages for Lord of the Rings, but came down um, to two different ones, which they actually used in the books. Um, I cannot read for the life of me. Um, but yeah, so anyway, the um, in the books, the elves can only speak Elvish to each other, and no one else is able to understand unless they are elf or part elf, which I also found quite interesting. Um, like, there's like, like it's impossible for like anyone to understand except for like, of course, like the main character Aragorn, which has a connection with one of the elves. Um, so it's very exclusionary in that aspect. Um, and there's also another sub, uh, another sect of languages in Lord of the Rings, the Ents, which also have their own language. Um, if you remember the giant like trees, uh, the ones in woods, and like they speak at a much uh, slower pace and say things only when <laughs> things need to be said. Um, but oh, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am I an ent? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You've got me. Shot down. Ouch. Uh, you're also not a tree, so. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're not telling. Im important note to make. Yeah. <laughs> Small um, detail. Big yeah. distinction. <laughs> distinction. But with the Ents, um, Tolkien, uh, he didn't really focus so much on a different language for them as a, gram a grammatical structure and way they spoke and how they spoke. So he said that was also very important in creating like their quote unquote language. So um, anyway, so this is all going back to like how languages. So if you want to talk about any languages in movies, I, I feel like we owe a huge debt to um, Tolkien uh, because I feel like he is kind of the father of the made up language. Um, and as nerdy as this is, there are actually conventions, Lord of the Rings conventions that people go to and speak Elvish and other languages to each other. Um, oh yeah, there's a huge fandom. I saw like, there's a lot about uh, Kling Klingon too. Uh, that is in Google Translate, FYI. Yeah, and, and Duolingo. And there was a family <laughs> that raised their kid for their first language was, was Klingon. Wow, that takes a lot Side of effort. Um, I've translated some things into Klingon in, in Google Translate. I, congratulate. I will admit. Uh, I will help pay for that child's therapy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for that, I feel like it would just be extremely isolating. Who else are they going to be talking to other than maybe their parents? Maybe that's what they want. <laughs> yeah, the letter name is dead. <laughs> so, well, that, that joke, that joke flopped. Well, uh, he wasn't a Klingon. <laughs> Oh, wasn't he? Isn't he like half Klingon? No, he's half human. He's half, what? Wait, what is he half? He's half human, half. What's the other race? 
Well, Spock is a, um, he's not a Romulan. He's a, um, they have green blood. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Sorry. You're, right. You're totally right. It's not Klingon, but I can't remember what it's called. It's okay. We'll, we'll get there. Please correct us, uh, dear <laughs> listeners. Beth will correct us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Beth. Wow, this is a big Beth episode. <laughs> she was very excited for this. She told me. Yeah. yeah. So He's a me. Vulcan. This mysterious Vulcan, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I actually found it. So um, uh, Kenya is actually the Elvish um, language that is actually like the Latin, they're a Latin version. So it's like not used as a, as a spoken language. Um, it's more for like their poetry and song. Um, whereas uh, what's Sindarin is the like Elvin's common tongue, if you will. Um, so and they're, they're both derived from um, a mix of Old English, Finnish, and I believe a little bit of Welsh is in there as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my topic. It's <laughs> a lot of work. My goodness gracious. I can see why you want to pay attention to that because to think of the amount of effort it would have taken just to get the idea of the book down and then to write the, the books after my goodness yeah 35 languages that's crazy that's a lot he's got a be lot like of work yes of some sort yeah well i mean a lot of like a lot of languages you know have overlap. similar overlap yeah and a lot of a lot mm -hmm. of, I mean, so i mean for someone who knows like 20 languages you know what's, what's, another, what's another 15 you know <laughs> they gotta be similar something like german is very like if you listen to it, a lot of it's very similar to English um, and Spanish, some Spanish too. So um, all derived from somewhere. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was really interesting. And yeah, I just, the more you know about. Man, I didn't know well, it was that complex. <laughs> good job, Jay, and good job, Matt. Thank you. Good crossover. <laughs> uh, and so now I guess it's my turn and Andy's turn. Um, really quick, uh, I, oh wait, I already said it. Never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna talk about the Google Translate. Uh, so my topic, and then consequently Andy's topic, is about the, you know, it's, it's, it's October. It's spooky season, spectacular <laughs> season. So um, I, I, we've already talked about some of this stuff, and I've already mentioned how I think that how humans have evolved in an evolutionary standpoint is just so interesting and why we do the things that we do based on things that are so ingrained in our nature. I think it's just, I think that that's fascinating. So Jay last year, I think right after October ended, I think it was a November episode, you talked about that crazy, scary haunted place. Yes. And oh, that yeah. was- Thanks to Matt, Tom. <laughs> And you were talking about like, you know, why would people go there and things like that. So I was kind of touching on that, but in the sense of movies, because this is a crossover episode. So I want to know why do movies scare us and what is it about movies that scare us? Because obviously we know that it's fake. It's even further removed than going to a haunted house um, because it's behind a screen and we know realistically that the creatures are not coming out of this of the tv they're not going to come to get us but why do i run from the bathroom to my bedroom <laughs> at night you know why do we get spooked out why do we get scared well after we've 
watched that movie. So um, I did a little bit of research and I found this article from sciencefocus.com and it talked about a researcher named Professor Joanne Cantor. She's from Wisconsin University. And she actually spent about a decade looking at why scary movies can scare us long after we've watched the movie itself. And in her research, she said that she found three recurring themes in films, uh, scary movies in the horror genre itself that people said scared them the most. Those themes were disturbing visual images, an imminent threat, and lastly, a general lack of control. And those were the things that disturbed people, the viewers of uh, these horror films the most. When she analyzed these descriptions that were given to her by the people who she was studying, she discovered that they were qualitatively similar to excerpts taken from PTSD patients that had been reliving their traumatic events. Um, that's definitely not to say that watching a horror film is the same, but it's like the language that they use was similar in the recounting of how they felt and, um, you know, the images that came to their mind and how it scared them and things like that. So how they described the events sounded similar, but obviously watching a horror film and having PTSD are two very different things. She said, quote, your memory of the film makes an association to that feeling when you first saw the film. It's similar to when we have a traumatic experience in our real lives. People wrote extensively about how they felt when they first saw the film and how just thinking about it makes them feel that same way again. So they're reliving it, end quote. So why can't we tell the difference between a real threat and a fake one, like hence the movie being fake, so according to Cantor, she says that it's, it's because the scariest films trigger that primitive part of our brain, which I, which I find so fascinating. And that part of our brain is the amygdala. So when we're afraid, the amygdala is shown to be really active, highly active in MRI scans. It's located in like the back lower portion of our brain so that part of our brain would have developed very early on in our evolution. And it's designed to help us. The amygdala doesn't control your thoughts, but it controls your instinctive reactions. And Cantor said, quote, it evolved so that when we came across something threatening, regardless of whether it was real or not, it reacts. Your memory in the hippocampus then makes an association to what you feel or to what you felt when you first encountered that event, end quote. So they said that in scans, the amygdala's activation coincides with your body's response um, to what we all associate with fear. And that is like your increased heart rate, your blood pressure, sweating, alertness, and otherwise known as your fight or flight response. So when your amygdala perceives that threat, it triggers your nervous response and stimulates that production of hormones that affect your body. And that is directly connected to your hippocampus and that's where we store our memories. So that fear and memory is very connected in our brains so that it can remind us to be afraid when we encounter that same threat again. So that I love because I have also was re-listening to some of our old episodes and I even brought this up in our very first episode and talking about that movie Inside Out and how like I was talking about disgust in our first episode, but 
the uh, character of fear, you know, is what keeps what kept the little girl safe in that movie, the little cartoon movie Inside Out. I love that movie so much. Yeah. Uh, so this brought me to thinking about, you know, the scary movie specifically. So I wanted to focus on one movie to uh, really, you know, dive in and it's like, what makes this movie scary? And in association with the research and your amygdala and memory and everything. And so I tried to think of the scariest movie and the scariest movie that I could think of based on my own life. And then a lot of what I've heard both on media, TV, and from other people, the movie that I wanted to focus on mostly was The Exorcist. So I know, Jay, I saw The Exorcist with you, but Matt, were you there too? One of the several times you watched it, I'm sure. <laughs> I only remember it watching once in, in Jay's dad's kitchen <laughs> and because we only had like the, the VHS of it or whatever. And, and your dad only had the one TV that had the VHS, which was the TV in the kitchen. So we're all sitting in these little kitchen chairs in the middle of the night. It's not like we got comfy or anything. Shoulders. So already we were very much on, on edge. We were alert and we're like, we're gonna do it. We're gonna watch this film together. And I remember just being so hyped up that we were like so responsible and so old, you know, we can handle this really scary movie because I remember hearing so commonly before that that this was the scariest movie ever made and and you know oh my gosh you know you really have to be super brave to watch the exorcist so um so of course we did and then in the end it wasn't as bad now i re-watched it recently and i have to say definitely not as scary as when we watched it when we were like 14. there yeah. are parts of it that are even somewhat comical um, and you know, I'm, that's up to debate whether they meant that intentionally or not. Um, but I wanted to take the general idea of the part I don't get and try and apply it to this movie and figure out what is it about this movie that has continued to make people so afraid for so long and why has it stood the test of time? Um, so pairing up with Andrew, hopefully we can answer this question. So it was a book. It was written by William Peter Blatty and the book was called The Exorcist. I actually own this book. I've never read it. Really? My mom told me that um, it's on my shelf of like a bunch of books. They're like, one day I'm going to read these. Um, I have 80 of those. <laughs> yeah, I know the My feeling. mom told me she remembered reading it when it came out and that she was so scared. She was at home and she had to sit outside on her front steps and wait for her parents to come home because she was reading it by herself and she got scared. I don't know That's why so the front deep. steps seem to be more uh, safe. Um, and she did live in the suburbs, but still, like, I don't know why that felt more safe than being inside. I would think, like, lock all the doors, close all the curtains. <laughs> yeah. um, I, 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 actually, I actually have read the book, and I, I will say the book is a lot scarier than the movie. It's Really? Yeah. It's the book just, is, is somewhat different, which I'll get into. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but, but that's more of a psychological thing. Yeah. Yeah, because you, your mind, your imagination can be a lot more yeah. like powerful. Yeah. It's a lot scarier. <laughs> that power room. of suggestion for sure. Yeah. So the book came out in 1971. It did not do well at first. And then Blatty went on the Dick Cavett show and the sales increased to the point where it was a, it was a major success and it was a national sensation. Warner Brothers bought the rights to the book and then Blatty, the author of the book made sure that he was directly tied to the movie itself as well. He wanted to write the screenplay and he wanted to also be a producer. A lot of people think that that helped make the movie scarier because Blatty 
firsthand knew what was supposed to be the content. And, you know, as Matt said, the book is apparently very scary. So, you know, why not get this guy to write the script and be a producer and supervise what's happening to, you know, really translate that fear from page to screen. So the book was written about a true story, a supposed true story that happened in 1949. And that happened in a city I've never heard of, Cottage City, Maryland. And the story was about a 13 year old boy that supposedly suffered from being possessed. So his family contacted the church and they eventually did perform an exorcism on him and they reported that it was successful. A local journalist wrote a story about that boy and what happened to him in the Washington Star, and then it, the Washington Post took it up, and then William William Blatty, he lived in D.C., he was going to school at Georgetown, and he saw the story, so that then he wrote the book. So the, the book came out in 1971, and then just three years later, Christmas film, December 20th. <laughs> or I shouldn't say Christmas, but winter film, you know, holiday season, uh, December 20th, 1973, The Exorcist came out. And just in case, if you didn't know what The Exorcist was about, it's essentially about a priest that had his own demons before um, that had been following him years later. And then he finds himself facing the same demon, but this time it is now inside of a young girl named Reagan, who is played by Linda Blair. So, um, Andrew, you can tell me, what is the director's name, his full name? Jim Friedkin. Friedkin. Um, who uh, was coming off of winning the Best Picture Oscar for The French Connection uh, okay. a couple years earlier. So, like, he was in high demand for any, um, any movie. So he was, like, the it guy at the time. So from what I thought, I figured, you know, the book was such a success, they bought this movie, they want the, the movie to be a success too. So Friedkin apparently really strove for perfection and they spent a lot of time and effort on effects, special effects and, and a lot of practical effects as well. And that potentially could also be part of the reason why the movie ends up being so scary. Many people were fired from the production. The hours were really long. A lot of people worked seven days a week. Um, the atmosphere on set was supposed to be really tense and people were rumored to be getting really freaked out while working on the film. There were many rumors that the set was being cursed or haunted. And at one point they even did have a Jesuit priest bless the set um, to supposedly get rid of whatever was cursing, uh, sorry, cursing or haunting the set. So I thought, well, maybe some of the things that took place while filming the movie translated onto the screen that is why maybe it made it so scary so I found out a lot of really terrible things happened um, both during and around the filming of this movie at the beginning of the production the actor that plays father Damien who's one of the main priests in the movie he was taking his children to the beach and one of them was hit by a motorcycle and went to the hospital and his legs were crushed and he was in critical condition for 10 days he eventually recovered um, many rumors happened about one of the sets catching on fire, but there's still a lot of back and forth rumors between did it happen, did it not happen, was it just smoke, or did the whole entire set burn down? I could not conclusively find what the real answer was. Linda Blair, the actor who plays Reagan, broke her actual lower spine while filming this movie. 
So her screams are in the movie and those are real from her actual pain of her um, breaking her back. She was supposed to be like flipping up and down, up and down really fast from both a upright seated position to a fully rested laying position very, very quickly. She was put in this like leather harness and they didn't lace it up properly. So there was loose inside. And as she was being pushed back and forth, it, it broke her back. Um, and she of course was only 12 when that happened. The actor that plays um, the character Burke died while um, the production of the movie was happening from influenza. The actress that played Father Damien's mother also died. She was uh, an elderly woman, but keep in mind, these are two of the actors that their characters die in the movie. And then the actors died in real life. Max von Sydow's, um, who plays the elder priest in the movie, his brother died the very first day he started filming. Um, one of the medical technicians in the beginning portions of the movie was an actual serial killer. Yeah, I remember. He and he was one of the people who um, is kind of essentially almost like an extra, um, but he uses, he's one of the people in the hospital that is like using one of the machines that Reagan goes to the hospital many times to have various medical tests. Mercedes McCambridge is the voice actress that plays the demon voice for Linda Blair, Reagan's character. In 1987, her son murdered his wife and his, his own son and then committed suicide. Um, the film was edited in a building with the address 666 on Fifth Avenue. During the premiere in Rome, a lightning storm supposedly hit an, uh, a cross on the top of a church that was across the street from the movie theater. Now that sounds a little out there. I'm not sure if that one actually happened, but I did hear it happened. And then lastly, this was one of the first movies to really use subliminal messaging. So they use in the soundtrack sounds like bees and lions to really, you know, tap into our, again, like that evolution of us being afraid of these sounds. And they also flash demonic faces for a period of a few seconds throughout the film. I counted at least three times that that happened. Um, so I thought that all of this just is just, just very bad juju you know like it's very bad like karma to have like on set i can't imagine it being a super positive place to work or so i have a feeling that that definitely helped the fact that the movie ended up being so scary in the end and um i feel like it kind of answered my question why, <laughs> why this movie has been so revered for so long and why are people still talking about it it's it's been uh, you know it's been over years. 40 years so but that was this pretty much what i had <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the end i still have yeah, more of course it. but i don't yeah. want to go on and on and on um but uh what was your take on your research on this movie andrew uh i had never seen the exorcist prior to recording this episode oh that's crazy I know. Um, so it's for uh, a couple reasons. Number one, I was like a goody two shoes as a kid. So <laughs> I don't even think I saw, I definitely didn't see a rated R movie until I was like 16. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm such a badass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh my God. Um, but so I like, I never even questioned uh, seeing it too. Um, but also like sometimes when you don't see movies, like especially older movies when you're a kid, it's like hard to pick them up when you're an adult, right? So um, so I just had never seen it. And I've been like making an effort recently to like pick up on those movies. And um, especially this year, like this Halloween, I've been like trying to watch like classic horror movies that I've never seen. So um, The Exorcist is um, one of them. Um, and kind of, uh, to your point, Bay, uh, one of the questions that I've been like kind of asking myself because uh, as uh, my friends here lovingly call me over analytical Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like kind of wonder like- I, I believe you have a shirt too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, Didn't I make that shirt for you? Yeah, it doesn't make it less true. <laughs> uh, so I like kind of wonder like what makes a film resonate with people. So mm -hmm. to your point, Bay, about like why do we get scared at these types of things? It's kind of like I think a I think um, there are a number of like avenues to that, but like sometimes it's like the perfect. Um, the perfect movie at the right time, too. So, like, in The Exorcist, is a point, like, it came out in 1973, which was, like, if you had to pick a year, that was, like, probably when America maybe was, like, most on edge or, like, uncertain about its future, like, the early 70s would have been it. It's, like, that was... I was gonna say 2020, but okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I mean, there are several years that we can pinpoint. Yeah. But... Well, 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, so that was the height of Watergate. So like enough said in that front. Also LOL because uh, The Exorcist takes place in Washington DC <laughs> at that time, <laughs> at that exact time. Um, but uh, kind of uh, to like answer the question of why maybe like the exorcist resonated uh, was like, because it has to do like a lot with Catholicism and uh, like not surprisingly, uh, like a lot of faith-based groups do not like this movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, think like even less than 10 years before, like the Vatican II had gone into effect. So like, this massive sort of shift in Catholic thinking had hit the mainstream. And this was like the first sort of movie, this big blockbuster movie that at its center, like questions faith and like what it means to have like good faith or question your faith and like that angers a lot of people um especially coming out of Vatican II uh so like it was this big kind of like cultural shift uh and 
I think, um, you know, like Bay, like you said um, in that interview where they said like lack of control is like a certain thing that makes you afraid. So I think like the exorcist speaks to a lot of people on like a broader scale of like, oh my God, what makes you afraid uh, sort of issue and like this kind of existential lack of control probably adds to that. Uh, and that's all like, just like the societal aspects. Then there's like the individual aspects. Like you want to talk about lack of control, imagine being like possessed by a demon. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that is pretty up there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that like kind of adds, uh, adds to the factor uh, of like why I think like movies are scary and like ads and why they like stand the test of time. I think like probably a good comparison in today's time and probably at least the most successful scary movie recently was probably Get Out of like really like really successful. And Get Out is in part successful because it like speaks to the current times of mm -hmm racial tensions in America and like it nails it completely so similar to the way that I think like The Exorcist kind of covers that um, I think there are basically like a variety of reasons but there are like there's one kind of like underlying factor that like helps drive the, the conversation uh, yeah. Well, I mean, possession in a sense would be like to one of your loved ones is being taken over or yourself would be taken yeah. over. So it's definitely frightening. And, um, and there's, uh, I've been, uh, because of a podcast, another podcast episode I listened to recently, um, where they talked about the satanic panic. Do you guys know what that is? yes okay feel free to explain yeah <laughs> yeah um so the satanic panic it was like a fad i guess in the 80s where people people throughout america legitimately thought that there were subcultures like planning and organizing like the murders of little children because they were like under the influence of the devil. Um, and this was like, oh, there's a great Johnny Knoxville movie that just came out exploiting that idea. Really? I yep. Which, uh, do you know what it's called? Come back to me. <laughs> BRB. Um, anyway, but like the reality is like that never really happened um like there was not like this mass movement of like satan worshipers like trying to kill children uh but we summon the darkness that's what it's called oh there we go um so but like the reality uh where this was kind of born was like in the home um because uh a lot of people in a lot of families, like in particular, 
there would be abuse, um, like sexual abuse in particular, but, uh, and most of the time it would come from the parents, like come from within the home rather than like these outside influences. But um, there wasn't like a whole lot of research on it. People didn't really talk to parents and children about it. So at the time in the eighties, people like assumed the worst. So they could like, couldn't even fathom that like, oh no, it's like, it's the father doing this. Like, why would a father do that to their child? And instead they're like, well, of course it has to be Satan. Like that is- <laughs> That's the only other option. Yeah, I know that's... that a lot of childcare um, places were accused of things like, you know, a lot of that fear and it, it, that really touches on like that whole idea of mass hysteria as well. I know that there were several people that were blamed for things that they could have possibly have not have had anything to do with based on what they wore and what they looked like and things like that because people were very panicked. Yeah, cause like you don't, and that's like the fear of the, the unknown, mm -hmm. right? So that's like what, um, but then they have debunked satanic panic, right? Like they oh, yeah. have they researched panic. it and analyzed it and said that this was an irrational fear that people have ended up having. Totally. Yeah. It was not, it was not a thing. <laughs> I feel like there was kind of like a, a second wave of that. Maybe not satanic panic, but like after the um, Columbine shooting. Yes, I was thinking yeah. the exact same yeah. thing like when with, you started saying the, it. Like, oh my God, like Marilyn Manson, it, mm -hmm. like somehow it became his fault and- yeah. Well, that's like people want to when there's somebody to blame for something that's happened it makes you feel better because then it right. gives a reason or an answer yeah and so that makes you that think, oh, scapegoat mm -hmm. keep it from happening again if we have something to blame mm -hmm. yeah um no i think about that recently with like the QAnon conspiracy theories like oh like of course there has to be like uh uh, child pedophilia sex ring yeah. <laughs> of like actual <laughs> actual explanations for why things don't work so um yeah like oh, it's difficult oh go ahead what were you gonna say I was, gonna, I was gonna say so i'm like i'm really glad you really brought up the exorcist in this topic <clears throat> um i'm like i'm really fascinated with like the horror genre in general i actually took a class on this in college like the um study of the horror genre and oh my gosh i can't yeah, believe like, the homework yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not for the faint of heart children <laughs> we're talking a lot about our college classes in <laughs> well no, i mean I, yeah i i just so happen to like major in film so and just, horror, and horror happened to be one of genre categories i had to study um but it's fascinating i've actually also been watching a lot of um eli roth's um, History of Horror. Uh, it's on AMC. It's actually a really great show. Um, but I, I've just, I've always found, found it fascinating how throughout the decades, like you were saying, successful horror movies um, and sub subsets of horror movies, like subgenres of horror movies, are, speak to the times they're in. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, a long time ago, I read a great, um, article on how the exorcist is a response to the sexual revolution um mm -hmm. oh, wow it yeah. was right after the height of the hippie movement and there was a big generational divide happening with with 
younger, you know, statesmen and, and the older yeah. generations. It, no, like that's what I was getting at with when I said like when it came out like in 1973 too, because mm-hmm. other things that The Exorcist gets at are like the issue of divorce, which like wasn't pro- as prominent as it is today in 1973 and like psychiatry. Yes. Uh, it like plays a prominent role in The Exorcist and um, that was also like less prominent then. Yeah. So. Yeah. And if you also like look at like, um, I mean, you could do like a really deep dive and study into like what what was meant, rep- like what what was a metaphor for what, but like even the slasher flicks of the 80s, you know, like Freddie and Jason, they all have meaning behind them. Um, the the monsters of the 30s, Frankenstein, um, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, they were all responses to what was going on at the time. They all represented some sort of evil that this country was facing. And I think um, it's just, it's horror is such a great genre study. Um, just one of the, one of the great ones out there. And it's, um, I, I just love how, like, I just, I just love how like some topics are so blatantly represented on film, like in your face that it's like. Well, they're able to do that through horror because people find it more of the fantasy, something that's not actually happening. So it's not as in your face as as you think, but it is, it's definitely symbolizing things that are actually existing in, in, in our lives for sure. Absolutely. So one of the scariest movies that I rewatched recently, um, and because it's so factually accurate is why I think it resonated with me, is the movie Zodiac. Oh, um, such a good movie. Right? Very yeah. long. But it's such very a good long. movie. It's like almost three <laughs> <laughs> But that um, only touches on one of the main guys that they suspected to be the Zodiac when there were like at least two other of the main players that they that they really looked into that weren't in yeah. the film. But like that is a true story. Like we know th- all this happened and the way that the movie Zodiac is structured and written is... Uh, they would only base the killings uh, that you see on screen in Zodiac off real police reports. So that's why you never see a killing in Zodiac where at least one of the people, uh, well, all the killings in the movie Zodiac, at least one of the people get away. And, or there's an eyewitness in some sort of way because they're based on real police reports. Uh, so like there's this feeling of authenticity to Zodiac that's like really extra creepy Um, and because like this did happen and like you could really see it happening like there there are these moments in Zodiac which still creep me out um, where like they where characters like Jake Gyllenhaal picks up the phone and you hear nothing but breathing it's like Uh, oh hate the breathing on the other end of the dial And that's it. That's all you hear. And I'm like sitting on my couch, like, mommy. <laughs> no, I wouldn't really consider that to be a horror film, though. Yeah. No, that's that. It's not like really a horror film, but like those are parts that like really like get under my skin and like I, I lose, lose that sex, that sense of control. And mm-hmm. Like, that's like what really freaks me out. It's like those sorts of moments. 
For, like, quiet scares me out more than the loud. For me, like, with the lack of control that you guys were talking about, I think of, like, the movie, the Saw movies, and how, like, you're like, oh, my God, like, I have the option to either cut off my arm or, like, die, you know? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I always think of that, like, I'm like, that's crazy to me how, you know, you're just watching this, but, like, I almost, like, wanted to, like, walk out of the theater. It's like, I don't, I don't want to think about this, you know? <laughs> that is so funny that you said that because we both brought up that movie and Inside Out on our very first episode. <laughs> oh, really? Game yeah, Johnson. I know. But yeah, again, I, I think it's like, it's, that's why I think it does end up scaring us for long periods of time because it forces you to think about what you would do in that situation yeah. if this happened to you and it's very personalized and you analyze it and, and even if you're not thinking about it so then when I guess like when I am walking my house at night and turn off the light go to my bedroom like I am then immediately put back in that scene because I'm remembering it and then it's stressing out my inner psyche I guess so I Oh, go ahead, man. Oh, I was gonna say I love I love um, like like the horror movies that came in the recent um, came out recently after 9/11 and how like a majority of them were a response to 9/11. So like Saw, um, you can see Saw as like kind of um, as a movie is like where we take for granted what we have and like we're also fearful of like people we don't understand like outside foreigners if you will um there's 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 articles about how like like saw and like hostile are all like post 9-11 like responses to 9-11 and like obviously like cloverfield is the big one but there's other like horror movies like that like that are really good um responses to to that event uh, that's so interesting very underrated horror kind of horror movie that is an 9-11 allegory is the village oh i yeah. love the village me everybody too. hates the village but me i too. love the village I, thank I you like me too <laughs> i hate the village i hate the village I I hate it. it's such a good twist in the end it is Agreed. such a good twist in the end it's about and it's about going into your like holes while well, spoiling the twist but like it's about going like into your shell of like, I don't want to know anything. So I'm just going to like regress back to uh, older days and, and traditional values and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, um, and those were feelings that we felt like very- Yeah, they were all scared. Yeah. So that was their reaction to their fear. Yep, yep, exactly. You and I- was to create a utopia. Yes. Not a fan. <laughs> I still have to go back and rewatch it, but I, I actually saw it in the theaters twice. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew, what was how did what did you think of The Exorcist? Just like having watched it recently, because like we all yeah as an adult, it. yeah. I really I really liked The Exorcist. Like, uh, did it scare you? I yeah yes, but like <laughs> I okay. It's it's a say because like especially as you go through movies like as you're an adult and like I've known what The Exorcist was my entire life so like you're kind of you know a little bit more what to expect. yes you've seen the scary little clips before yeah you've heard it talked about 
so it definitely so, does desensationalize it for you for sure exactly uh so like it was more of like okay i need to like see what this movie is all about rather than um than doing this and um so like i live in washington dc right now and movies like aren't filmed here frequently. So to see all these places that were actually filmed in, in DC are like pretty cool. Uh, so like the exorcist stairs, uh, the stairs that like multiple characters are thrown down and killed <laughs> on. <laughs> yes, at least two different characters, yes. Yeah. Uh, are like famous and like there's a landmark, literally like a landmark right next to the stairs. Uh, so I visited them <laughs> for in preparation. Wow, look at you. What Slice is the landmark? There aren't like it was made a like uh, something by the mayor's office saying like this is a cultural like like you can't tear it down <laughs> place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. they are very steep, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> They had to line every single one of those stairs with rubber so that the um, the stunt double could roll down them at the very end of the scene. Uh, uh, I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not run up them because they were so steep. So I was like, I'm going to go all the way to the top. And I walked down them <laughs> instead. Uh, like, you want to take a tumble? <laughs> What's I've, that? I've been up and then down, yeah. <laughs> um and so uh like a character gets thrown from the window from the house to the steps and the house is very far away from the steps like it takes a lot of force and effort so it would take a lot of force and effort to get to like the actual steps from the house uh so i was like found that uh interesting uh but they're accessible like if you're ever in dc and in georgetown uh you could get there but um contrary to what the movie would make you believe uh they don't film movies in dc all that frequently because they're filming a movie in the movie so to make things complicated but, uh, so I found that like super cool. Um, and uh, so I found that like interesting and uh, maybe like, maybe one of the reasons why I didn't like watch it, like growing up, like I didn't grow out, grow up around the area or anything. So it was never held this like personal sort of uh, resonance for me, but um, yeah, like I thought it was, um, I thought it was cool. I actually like, really like the funny lines. There are a lot of really <sighs> vulgar lines. And like my, um, I, no matter what, I always laugh whenever I hear children curse. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> my thing. So to see like a 12 year old say like really vulgar and like sexual stuff as a possessed demon, I find hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like laughing the whole time. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I uh, I really liked it. Uh, I was very impressed um, and like glad because 
there's nothing more depressing of like when you watch a movie that like everyone's been talking about and <laughs> then you end up like not liking it. <laughs> so uh, this was not one of those cases for me. I yeah, remember back like like a... oh, in like the mid 2000s, there was like a wave of like exorcist movies and like none of them like ever oh, worked. Yeah. Maybe like the exorcism of Emily Rose was like, okay, but like the rest of them, I like, own that like, movie. They like tried to live up to the standards of what is The Exorcist, and like no one could quite do it. And like I wonder, like what the next big possession movie that comes out like will actually scare the bejesus out of people, or if it's like if The Exorcist is it, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's been a while since like a movie like that. Like they just kind of faded away. Didn't didn't we see one of them in theaters, Matt? Or probably. I mean, I, I saw like so many of those in theaters. I know I saw the exorcism of Emily Rosen theaters, which was like, eh. oh, I, didn't, I don't think I saw. That. Didn't they have? They had an exorcist TV show. Did anyone watch? Yes, that? they did. Yeah, I, I actually watched that. I I didn't think it was terrible. With Gina Davis. I never saw it. I, 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 I it. Well, yeah, it had Gina Davis, so it like it was on Fox, and then it like moved to Friday nights, and I was like, oh great, graveyard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it ended after season two, but I didn't think it was awful. Like. I don't know if anyone's gonna gonna watch it, but like you like find out that like by the end of season one, Gina Davis ends up being like Reagan, like a grown up Reagan, and she gets repossessed, and it's all like it gets silly after season two, but like season one's not bad; it's not terrible. Cool. What um, <laughs> What are some like recent scary movies that have like really scared you guys? I thought that the Conjuring series was very good, which also, again, touches on historical fiction. Um, That's a real couple. Those are real instances, but they were, they even said that they overly dramatized what had happened. They never, like, for example, The Conjuring, they didn't actually do like a full um, in-depth on-site they like met with the family and then left. Um, and then the second one, that is that is actually a real life haunting story in England. It's one of the most um, talked about um, haunted houses and occurrences of all time. But again, like the children have come forth and said that a lot of the things that they were doing, at least half of it was faked. Um, but then they said that some of it wasn't. So, you know, I thought the Conjuring movies were pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I um, I think I, I talked about this on like last year's horror Halloween podcast. Um, like I'm not really like ooh, ah, scared by movies, but like I kind of look at horror movies by like the like the quality and like how good they are. Um, I I'm actually like midway through this STX movie called Under the Skin, which came out in 2013, which I'm sure you've seen, but with Scarlett Johansson, um, no, which is pretty good. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I mean, not yes, it's A24, A24, um, which is pretty good so far, but yeah, you should watch it. I was actually inspired by watching the Eli Roth show. And then um, just some other like movies, like I really like, we talked about this last year, but the Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween, I, like the new one, the, um, the Jamie Lee <laughs> um, but the new one. And I actually really like um, H2O, the one with Josh Hartnett. I think it's a really well done movie. Um, and I don't think it gets the credit. Takes me back, takes me back. Yeah, um, I love the new um, 
like I, I of course I love Get Out. I think Get Out's great. Um, I like the new Evil Dead for as like ridiculous as it is. I think it's actually like a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's like it's so stupid. It's great. <laughs> One of those movies. Um, so yeah, like I don't know. And like the new um, oh my god, what? Uh, I mean, Insidious I, was pretty good too. The first Insidious, yeah, it's good. It has. Speaking of like one of the some of the scariest jump scares you've ever seen, that has the one the scene in the kitchen that was pretty terrifying. So, yeah. And then and what I'll, about you, Jay? I can't even remember like the last. I mean, it's been a while. I remember seeing The Ring with you in theaters and us hitting our heads together so hard during the very first jump out scene because you and I both ducked at the exact same time and we ducked <laughs> towards each other and I was like oh you know because you're like so scared so you're like ah and then you hit we hit like our foreheads together and we're like oh you know so it was like an immediate like double reaction and it was just the worst it hurt so bad <laughs> yeah but I mean in terms of like recent movies um that's within the last 20 years oh well, <laughs> i thought you meant like the last year <laughs> sorry oh well there's a lot then I, I i will say i know this is very debated uh but especially between this group but uh, paranormal activity scared the shit out of me <laughs> um yeah a, definitely the, the first one yeah um sure yeah i mean the saw movies <laughs> <laughs> what was that andrew <laughs> i was just like sure <laughs> andrew you and i saw that in theaters together we did i remember the exact movie theater we saw that me too that Delaware? no, no. Was, um, the one that's on off i-95 the egyptian one. Oh, it was, it was a cinemark theater yeah yeah oh then i was there because no, i saw not. it was just us not there Matt, I think you and I saw it together because I remember we both were scared by it. I remember like you guys being yes. like, what are you talking? Like we had totally opposite reactions and we're like, yes. did we see the same movie? Well, see, Andrew and I wanted to go see it because you guys made it sound like it was the scariest thing on this planet. So we were like, we have to see this. Maybe we, we hyped to see it up too movie. much. And then uh, that probably is part of the reason of what happened. Now, the ending was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But it's just unfortunate that you have to go through an hour and a half to get to that ending. <laughs> See, for me, I think less is more. And it, it's like- so I do agree. Like, there was, it was a definite good, it, it started out the whole POV, shaky camera. Yeah. Um, th there of course have been several horror films that have followed this genre. Oh God, of course, yeah. like Cloverfield and um, Unfriended. Well, I think Blair Witch was the first one to do oh, that. Oh, that's true, that's true. But Paranormal Activity, I think, was one that started with, I mean, Blair Witch as well, you know, said that you could have a really low budget and you could make a ton of money and make a really big, yeah, Blair Witch was probably the first example of that. That's true. But yeah, it definitely spoke to less is more. I think that there are parts of it that were, that were great because it's like Jaws, like when you see what's scary, it really loses the that X factor for you, which I think is a big part of the reason why The Exorcist is also scary because you don't see anything you can only really see reagan but you can never see what is actually inside of her and you can only just imagine yeah um, oh and uh sinister was another one that yeah more sinister recent was very good that, that's um, been on sci-fi i think and I'm like, i would i would consider sinister one of the scariest movies of the last 10 years yeah that was really um 
They actually, they actually just did. <laughs> Wait, isn't that a Mark Wahlberg movie? No, no it is an Ethan Hawke. Movie. Oh my bad, my bad. You are the second person to say that to me. Who I don't know that? why. I don't know why. I was like, wait, isn't that Mark Wahlberg? Why do you like that? And I'm like, no, it's Ethan Hawke. No, Maybe it, it was me twice. <laughs> no, it, it was someone else and I can't remember. Um, but they actually did a study and they found that like scientifically, Sinister is one of the scariest movies of all time. Oh, interesting. Really? How do you study that? <laughs> they, they like um, test your heart rate. Yeah. They like hook you up to machines and like- Oh, that's, I didn't know they do those. That's really cool. Yeah, there was a study that just came out on it. So I found it really interesting. But I think Sinister is like one of the best horror movies that's come out in recent memory. Um, and it does not get enough credit. Well, that <laughs> yeah. also touches on some of what The Exorcist does involving children. Yeah. And, you know, ch children are, are innocent and they're beloved. And then when that is shown the darker side in the movies, those two different movies, it, it definitely, you know, creates that fear, that sense of fear. Yeah. Well, I thought that this was a really awesome crossover episode. Yeah. And um, thank you very much, Matt and Andrew, for coming on to do this with us tonight. And hopefully we can do this again. Maybe we can have a, another holiday versus love action. <laughs> <laughs> the holiday all the way, man. Girl, yes. Love actually. Love actually. <laughs> oh, 50 50 looks split. Like, looks like we found our next topics. <laughs> Do a round two. Yeah. Round two. Ding, ding, ding. Let's go. All right. All right, everybody. Catch. Um, the part I don't get on Instagram, Facebook, and don't forget to email us at the part I don't get at gmail.com. Do you guys want to say your handles? Go, go for sure. it. Sure. Yeah, we're on uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash step and repeat pod and on Twitter at uh, at repeat step pod. And our Gmail is step and repeat pod at gmail.com. Uh, we're always looking for more guests and feedback uh, on all the movies. Our podcast is basically a movie uh, of the week uh, podcast. So uh, we are always talking about what's current. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.